0: You know how God has been doing this where he's leading this church like he is every single week? Once again, we are in the passage that we're in, in Luke. And it just simply could not be a more perfect passage for the week before Easter. This is literally the point in time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. And he's now on a march to go to his death and his resurrection, which we're celebrating next week. Now, I do want you to know we won't, you know, the, Luke does have some other material, but we've just gotten to an interesting place, and it, we'll look at it some more. But here's what I want to do, just to start us off and get us all on the right page. When you think about, I want you to answer this question, I'm going to ask for a show of hands here in a second. But when you think about all the people that have ever lived, how many are saved? going to heaven, being with God. If this is the whole of all the people that have ever lived, this, this wide, right? Is it lots? Like, you know, three quarters or more? Is it like many? Is it like some? Or is it like few? Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to answer because you're thinking about the sermon and the way I may be setting you up, okay? What I want you to do, I'm, I, wanna, I really want an honest answer on this. I want this the way when you just think about it. You're not thinking about a sermon or anything else. And you're just thinking about how many people are actually going to heaven. If that thought occurs to you and it does to us, you know, is, you know, and all that kind of stuff. What would you just naturally say? What's the sort of first impulse? You know, that first impulse answer that you have. So I'm asking for that first impulse answer. When I ask that question, no other thoughts in mind. Just what would you say? It's no harm, no foul. There actually isn't an answer. Okay, so you're right or you're wrong, I don't know, okay? But how many people would say lots? And I don't mean lots like a lot of people going, I mean lots relative to all the people that have ever lived. How many people would say lots? How many people would say many? How many people would say some? How many people would say few? That's very interesting answers right there. That was almost evenly spread, except for the first one. Here's, Here's the verse that we're in. Today, someone asked him, "Lord, will only a few be saved?" Okay, now we're going to find out in a second why he asks it that way, because this is a very Jewish question, in fact. But I want you to just—and what they're thinking—what Jewish people are always thinking is, "Is all Israel will be saved? If you're a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you will be saved." But but they've been having all these conflicts. They've been having all this stuff happen with the religious leaders and so on. And Jesus is putting his face towards Jerusalem. There's already been indications that they're really going after him, that they're opposed to him. There's, you know, these guys are Christians or they're not Christians yet, but they're following Jesus. And you see what I mean? That there's this tension that's happening. He's going, this guy's asking this very legitimate question of how many people? Is it just a few? I mean, it seems like it's just a few of us. Is that what this is? Now... Listen to what Jesus' answer is. He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. Notice what this isn't saying. It isn't saying there's a whole lot of people out there and many aren't going to get in. So we've already somehow narrowed the crowd down, haven't we? We're going after people that are actually trying to get in. And he's saying that they're not going to. Harsh, sort of harsher buzz. This is hard, right? But remember what's been happening these last weeks. In this story, is God has been discipling his disciples, remember what he's been saying over these weeks because he's been saying things like this in indicating that there's something going on that's different than the way the typical Jewish person thinks. I'm going to heaven because I'm Jewish, because I'm Israel. Because here's one that we did a while back. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns, but what if the servant thinks my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. Now notice he is the servant of the master. So when we allegorize this, we're saying this is somebody who's following the master. God is the master, this is a servant of the master. But if this person gets to thinking that he's not coming back, then the master returns and unannounced and unexpected, and I just really think this is one of the most difficult things Jesus ever says. I mean, Jesus just doesn't talk like this normally. He will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. This is harsh. And the servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared? The one who knows what the master wanted, knows what Jesus wanted, isn't doing it? Well, that one's going to be severely punished. Wow. Wow. This is not that gospel of grace that we talk about so much. Someone who does not know and then does something wrong, they'll be punished but only lightly. Look, when someone's been given much, which let's be clear, when God gave himself for you and me on that cross, that was much. That's the most that can be given. God died because you should have. And God took it upon himself instead. You can't be given more than that. When that happens, much is required in return. This isn't works, by the way, right? Right now, there's people in here that are going to start thinking automatically, Oh my God, I'm going back into works mode. This is freaking me out because I grew up in a fundamental situation. We're not talking works. We're not talking that at all. We're talking something much more deep than that. We're talking what a relationship looks like in the end. But here we go. See, when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Jesus gave his life for you and he's asking for you to do what? Actually give your life to him. For real, right? Let me let me make this whole thing much worse, okay? Why not, right? What the heck? I've already dove in with both feet or head first, okay? Um. Jesus tells a story, a man planted, this is another one of the stories, a man planted a fig tree in a garden and came again to see it, this one Roger did, and see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fruit, cut it down, it's just digging up space. This is, again, the things that are preceding this verse. So this is when the person asks, is it only a few that are being saved? See, they're hearing things that are different than what they've heard. All Israel will be saved. All Jewish people are saved because I was born a child of Israel. I'm saved. And, And they're hearing this weird thing. But now, like I say, I really want you to go hard into how to take what was being said at that moment and apply it to today. Because what was being said in that moment was This was a Jewish person asking a Jewish question. And Jesus gives, as we will see in a moment, a Jewish answer. So if we're going to understand it properly, what we have to do is say, they are are our our examples. They're the model. What happened with them was done in a way that was transparent and visible for all so that God could say, this is true for you too. We are not different nor better than. We are the same as. We have been grafted into that tree, that life, that walk, that relationship. You see it? And so what really we have to say as Christians is, I'm serious, as a Christian, Jesus, are only a few Christians being saved? See, this is a Jewish person asking about Jewish people. He's not asking about the whole world. He's asking how many of the Jewish people who think they're going to heaven are actually going to go. And so if we're updating that for us today, as we know that Jesus is updating these things so that we experience it, we have to ask this question. How many people who claim to be or call themselves Christians? Relatively. Again, if there's all the people that have ever lived that call themselves Christians right? How many of them are going to heaven? Is it many? Or is it lots? Is it many? Is it some? Is it few? I want to note something, very important. If we look at what Jesus' answer was to the Jewish person, the thing that we know for sure is many will not that doesn't mean that there won't still be a lot. He doesn't say if it's only a few, or if it's some, or if it's many, or if it's lots. What he does say is, there are people that think they're going and aren't going to. Now, we're going to see this in even more dramatic right now, but let me just say two things before we get to our prayer. (laughs) This ought to scare the hell out of you. Right? This This ought to... For right now, you ought to be saying, I really need to hear what God wants to say next. God let Kurt say it right. But I really need to hear what God wants to say next because Jesus is talking to these disciples and we've seen how Jesus talking to the disciples this whole time in Luke has been Jesus talking to us, discipling us just like he did the disciples. So here we are. And now he's gotten to a very hard place. And we need to own that just as much as we own the other. Right? We need to own it. That's what we're going to do today. The second reason, though, that I want to do this is, is, you know what? When I was reading this scripture, this is just this morning that God brought it to me. He said, one of the things I want you to to realize is, is, when the world calls Christian hypocrites, it's not entirely wrong. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians and are not acting in a Christian manner, and they are giving Christians a bad name. (laughs) They're giving Christ a bad name. So I, I just wanna say something. I'd rather be scared for myself and get that right, and trust that that means my witness will be better. I'm not gonna get myself right so that my witness gets better. That's backwards, right? But I do wanna say something. I really want my witness to be good. I want it to be real. I want it to make a difference, don't you? Don't you want your life to make a difference in people that you love with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? People that you love, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors, people that you love? Easter is about the fact that Christ needed to save us. Are we his instruments in that endeavor? Truly, all right? Who's our prayer? Adam Bonsky? this is just perfect. Uh, man, I got cool things to say about you. I just have to ask you, did you, did, did it go well? Yeah. He, he just, <laughs> you know, Adam fun. did the, the movie here. Remember Rogue Saints? Well, out of that movie came an invitation for him to be up for a director position on a larger movie. So he just did a tryout for that. And I don't know, I don't, you don't have to give us the answer, I don't know if you know it yet.
1: I don't know yet. Okay. I think okay. it went good. Well, you know what? <laughs> I give myself you know an what? A. I'll
0: pray for you at the end of this. But, but would you pray for us? But I just think that that's really cool. You know what I mean? God taking a person who stepped out in faith, who really took a risk, and it was a big risk, and it cost him a lot. You know what I mean? But the hope was, my hope always was, is that it would lead to God using him more and more in what he feels like he's called to do. So this is a man who's living out what we've been talking about. So Adam, pray for the sermon. Lift up another church.
1: Uh, God, it's good. it's good to be here uh, with you, with the, your community. And you are always the same. And you are always surprising. I think, I think more than anything, I'm surprised my understanding of you changes amen. i pray god that you would prepare my heart and you prepare everyone here um that we would put our stuff aside and just listen amen and find something surprising about you thank you Lord. And god um, move in kurt's heart that he would put himself aside and only say what you would have him say amen And touch his voice and his health as he does so. Um, I pray finally for um, Redmond Assembly of God, my old church from many years ago, that you would your word would be heard there. Your name, Amen. Amen.
0: And Lord, just stretch your hands towards him. Lord, in Jesus' name, what we want to pray for is give him the job. What we do pray for is, is Lord, your will be done. We know that the door that you open, no one can close. The door that you close, no one can open. What we ask for and what we ask for because we love him and because we want him to be used and all the giftings that he has, and we think that it's right, and so we do ask you, God, give him the job. In Jesus' name, what we say, what we know, and it's not a a fake faith, it's a full faith. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, your will be done. Let those people that make that decision make it because you led them to. In Jesus' holy and precious name, let it be your decision for his life. And God, whatever it is that you've called Adam to be in fullness, that you are still realizing in all of us, God, in Jesus' name, let that come to pass. In Jesus' holy and precious name, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for that. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Adam, love you. Okay. Now, this verse, this, this section that we're in today, starts off with this, as I told you earlier. He went through one town, and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. This is the first time that it says it this way. And what this is is a transition now. Remember this. Luke 1 through 8 is essentially college. It has some high school at the beginning and some introductory stuff. But then it's essentially college, which is watch and see what's possible. Watch and see learn new things that you didn't think were possible. Then it goes at chapter nine, it goes into master's level, which is now you start doing, I'm going to be right there to help you. We're going to, you know, sometimes you're going to be on your own, but you're going to be right there. But in master's level, you're learning still. The teachers are still, professors are still teaching you, but you're doing a lot of work yourself. You're you're learning how to do, okay? Now, right now we are at the end of our masters it'll take us several chapters to actually end it because what jesus is going to do now it's going to turn to parables which are this parables are this incredible way of jesus putting in us concepts the way that he's built us so that we'll act right when he's not there because you see what's going to happen is pretty soon we're going to go to the doctoral level Which is to say we're not on our own, right? We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we have the ultimate advisor for your doctoral dissertation. You have the you know, the ultimate guy. But really, at the level of doctorate, what you're doing is you're making your contribution to the field. So what we're doing when we get into doctorate is we're making our contribution. To the kingdom of God. And yes, we have the Holy Spirit who's leading, guiding, and doing everything he's doing as we'll see again today. But the bottom line is, when you get to doctorate level, it isn't Jesus leading you by the hand anymore. It's you stepping out. It's you making that difference as he leads, as he empowers. But it's you making your contribution to the kingdom of God in the world. See it? So we've turned now. We're at the end, we're at that, thesis phase wouldn't be the right exact metaphor, but it would be, we're at the end of that master's level, we're not going to see the disciples do things anymore. What's going to happen is, is Jesus is going to tell them a bunch of parables, and then we're going to go into the passion narrative. Get it? So, with that in mind, we're at a pretty key place. They've done it. They learned some things. They came back from having done things. God said to them, don't get puffed up about this stuff that happens. It's me. It's not you. We learned that. And then he said, this is what I'm really looking for. And I want this kind of fruit from you. See it? So that's what we're doing. That's where we're going. Now, with that in mind, he then says, this guy asked him, are only a few going to get saved? By the way, it's just uncanny to me that next week is Easter, and we're, we're at a break point, and this is the end of this thing that we started at the beginning of the year with simple obedience. We'll be doing simple obedience all year long, but this is the end of this thing that we're doing, and it's right now. It just blows me away how God's doing here. So, so what I want to say is, oh, if we are going to be saved, this is the last message that he's giving in this regard, and then it shifts to something else, Okay? So with that in mind, look what he says now. Now now look at how Jewish this answer is. Okay? From a Jew, the question from a Jew, to a Jew, and a Jewish answer, right? When the master of the house has locked the door, it'll be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he'll reply, I don't know you, and this is the key phrase at this point, or where you're from. A Jewish person is saying, I know where I'm from, Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? I know where I'm from. And he's saying, I don't know where you're from. Pretty tough. You'll see it more as we get going. But he'll reply, I don't know where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. See See what he's referring to? He did. He ate and drank with them. He was in their streets. A Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people. And yet, It's not working out like they thought it was going to. See? But he'll reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. You're not from that place that you're supposed to be. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Wow. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See it? and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you won't be there. You'll be thrown out. Think about the words thrown out. You thought you were supposed to be there, so you naturally enter in, and then you get tossed out. See it? And the people will come, and people will come from all over, east, west, north, and south. Who's referring to right there? Us. Gentiles. Right? He's saying, you thought it was the nation of Israel. I'm telling you people are going to come from east, west, north, and south. Right? People are going to come from all over the world. And they're going to take their places in the kingdom of God. And then he says, this is the one place where I probably should have changed it. This is NLT. The translation is a little off. Some who seem least important and will be greatest then, do it this way. The first will be last and the last will be first. That's the literal. First will be last, last will be first. Now here's what's being said literally. Do you remember when we were doing Revelations, the series? Okay. When we were doing Revelation, one of the things that we discovered was is that there was, a, a, there was this, these weeks in Daniel, and there was these weeks that happened, and then the final week of Daniel, the seven years, so there was three and a half years, and then that stops when Christ is cut off, and then there's a time of the Gentiles, but then the Gentile time is over, and they are taken out, and then the other three and a half of the seven years kicks in, and the Jewish people now are coming to Christ. So, literally, the first, the Jewish people chosen first, are going to be last in. You see it? The people who are last, Gentile pigs, are going to be in first. See it? So this is what's going on here. Now, if you're a Jewish person at the time and you're hearing this, this is harsh, as we've been saying. He is literally saying to them, a lot of people who think that they're in heaven are not. Period. We're taking this forward as we do and saying what's he saying to us as Christians? And let's be clear. A lot of people who think they're in or not. This is not supposed to freak you out. Hang in there till you get to the end of the sermon. There's an easy way to know if you are or not. It's not easy for me to know about you. But it's easy for you to know. Okay? So this isn't work. Do a whole bunch of work in order to gain his approval. You cannot work hard enough to gain God's approval. The whole point about next week in the cross is... You cannot do what needs to be done. Only God can. That's what Jesus on the cross is all about. Right? That's the message. So you've got to keep that message in your heart or you'll get everything else wrong. Now, so here we are. And what we've got to do is figure out, am I one who is technically known by him? Now watch, I'm going to do something here, okay? So it's going to take me a second. This is not a sidebar at all, but it's just just hang in there with me, and I think you'll get it. We talk about David all the time in here. And one of the things that we say about David is, if you take all the characters of the Old Testament, David is one where God put a yellow highlighter through the whole of his life. He gave us a whole bunch of history about him in the history books, as he did Moses and others, right? Right? He gave us a whole lot of history about him, but then he gave us something else about David in the Old Testament. What was it? The Psalms. And the Psalms are David's inner dialogue with God. When he'd failed, how he reacted. When God did something mighty, how he praised him. When he was struggling, what he said to God. David is, in all the Old Testament, David is the one who God has shown a spotlight on and said, if you want to know what it looks like to be a person whose heart is after God, look at David. Now here's what's amazing about David. He lived 3,000 years ago. And yes, there's a language difference between us and him. But if David were standing right here, and there was no language difference, David would be talking about God, and every person in here that knew him would totally bear witness with every word that David said. It wouldn't seem ancient. It wouldn't seem archaic. It would would be like, oh, you're saying what's in my heart. I've been trying to find the words to express what I'm feeling. Isn't that what the Psalms do? When you read the Psalms, you're going, that's it. <laughs> that's what I've been feeling like. It's not us learning how to act because we read David. It's that we feel a certain way, and David gives voice to it. And God means him to. So that we can say, oh, I got it. Got it? So David is that person in the whole of the Old Testament that God means for us to connect with. Right? You want to know in the Old Testament personages what who to be like? It's David. But it turns out that there's somebody in the New Testament like this, too. And surprisingly, it's one that we don't really want, because it's Paul. We have a lot of history about Paul, just like we do with a lot of the other guys. But we have something else from Paul that we don't have, except in small pieces from, say, John and Peter. What we have from Paul is a bunch of letters. And those letters are Paul talking about a relationship with God. What it feels like, what it looks like, what it is. You, you want to, here, no, just watch. When, when you think of Paul, do you think what I think? Because when I think of Paul, what I think is, how do I say this rightly? He's a little holier than thou. I don't relate to him because he's just like so much better than me. I don't relate to him because he's kind of harsh. There's a hard edge. Remember something about Paul and his letters so that you read them properly. You remember what was said about Paul about his, he said, Paul said, he said, you guys say to me that my letters are harsh, but when I come, I'm not like that at all. You know what he's saying? I'm a nice guy. When you come, you're merciful, you're graceful. You interact with. When you write, you're writing what's true. Anointed by the Holy Spirit to write what's true. Which right there ought to tell you something. The fact that we don't really relate to Paul like we do David says we've got a holiness problem. More accurately, we've got a problem with holiness and righteousness. Do you see it? You do realize that David, that Paul is more than David, right? The least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest that's come before. You do realize that because David, or Paul had the Holy Spirit inside, you do realize that his walk is more nearly supposed to be what ours is. But because we live so much as almost Christians before we were saved, even as Christians, we relate to David, who is a pre-Christian Christian. You see it? We don't relate to Paul. We relate to Paul in his mercy and his love and the way that he explains grace because Paul is the one whom God brings grace through. Right? Paul is the one that explains to us what grace is. So we relate to that part of Paul. But then Paul says all these other things about holiness and righteousness and things, and it just kind of gets you, doesn't it? It doesn't make, you, doesn't make you think that you'd like to go and hang with him. Right? You'd be like, you'd really like to sit at his feet and listen to what he had to say, as long as it was in contained enough moments of time, because you just don't think you could handle it all. Is is am I'm, I I'm the only one here that feels this way about Paul? Let me let me help you fall in love with Paul. Okay? Let me show you a time when who Paul really is, like David's Psalms, comes through. We've all read it before, but I want you to read it in the message because it just reads so beautifully. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes, I'm full of myself after all. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Anybody? Anybody? Thank you for your hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert here a, a political comment that is not political. I don't care if you want to vote for Donald Trump. I don't. I'm scared to death of him. I also am scared to death of everything else that's out there. So you know what I mean? I'm scared, okay? Uh, all except for Ted Cruz, and I'm just saying that for your benefit, Brian. <laughs> he scares me too. Everybody does, okay? But, but here's the point. When Donald Trump says... And they say, have you asked God what God's forgiveness? I don't need to ask God's forgiveness. I'm a good guy. If if he was talking to you about being a Christian and you were at Starbucks with him, you'd say, I don't really care what it is that you think, but I can tell you one thing, you're not a Christian. <laughs> not really. You don't understand. You don't have a relationship. You don't have this thing inside of you that says what Paul said. Because does anybody want to say that Donald Trump is a better guy than Paul was? And here's Paul talking about his experience. So if if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. He needs to tell me what to do if I can't do what's right. But, I need something more, for I know the law, but I still can't keep it. If the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. That's what a Christian sounds like. I realize that I don't have what it takes. Are you falling in love with Paul? You should be. This is God trying to make you so that you'll get his other stuff too. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really end up actually doing it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, worthless as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment, don't you love this? I mean, this is it the moment i decide to do good sin is there to trip me up i truly delight in god's commands but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight <laughs> right parts of me covertly covertly rebel and i and just when i least expect it they take charge i've tried everything and nothing helps i'm at the end of my rope is there no one who can do anything for me and then he says isn't that the real question The answer, thank God, is Jesus Christ that can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, if you don't love Paul right now, if you if you don't know that you could go out to Starbucks with him and he would not give you that hard edge of the letters, he would give you that other thing when they say you're so impressive in your letters and you're so certain, and then when you talk to us, you're so something else. I'm telling you, if you went out to lunch with him, what you would find is a man wrapping his arms around you in love and compassion and understanding and trying to help, but just, just you would, you'd feel so loved and understood. And if that's the case that Paul understands us, we have to understand the fullness of Paul. Because here's other things that Paul said that are important. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now let's be clear. That is not what the modern American church does. This is not the message that we preach. We do not preach work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We don't. We preach that God loves you and he understands and he has grace and he's been tempted in all things as you are and so you're okay. And in so doing we understand the grace of God so beautifully and so wonderfully and thank God for it. But you have to understand that God is not only love and mercy. He's holiness and righteousness. And we have to live in the tension of those two things. We have to live in the fullness of His love. And we have to live in the understanding of what He can do in terms of holiness and righteousness in you. Because you can't. Remember? That's why you can't work to get it. Because you can't get there. All of the religions in the world try to get there and they can't. Here's another one, yes, but remember, now listen to this, remember those branches, the Israelite branches, the Israelites, the Jews, they were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe, you got grafted in because they got broken off. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. If God did not spare the original branches, what makes you think he's going to spare you? This is true. This is important. This is critical that we live in this place too. Don't let it overcome grace. Don't let it overcome God's power to do exactly this in you. Just don't ever let it become not important to you. So that you're not still trying. So that you're not still moving that way. You see it? In fact, let's do one So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Can you believe that Paul would have ever thought, can you, put it a better way, can you believe that any modern Christian who really understands grace could ever think that they could lose their salvation? Because we don't, and it's proper theology to think that you can't, because it's not you, it's God holding you. But that's where the mistake is because we, we, we think that we can't lose it because we keep doing right. And the fact is, is we're the ones that are hopeless. We're the ones that need a savior. Right? The message says it beautifully. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not getting caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. So here's the point. Now that you love Paul in his mercy and in his call to holiness, here's the point. We need to ask ourselves what is it that he knows us? Because we've already established it's not about us knowing him. We need to know I don't know you. So what is it for him to know us? Well this is where it gets Easy. What does it take for him to know us? If you love me, obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Let me paraphrase that for just one quick second. If you can hear Paul talking in Romans 7 that we just talked about where I said he's talking our lives, if you can hear those words and you know that they're true in you too, then you know him. If you hear those words and they don't mean anything to you, then you don't know him. I'm not trying to be harsh when I say this. I'm trying to save. I'm trying to be an instrument of his to help you understand the difference between those who do are known and those who are not. Because those who are, are known hear what Paul said and they go, That's me. Those words speak to me. They're the same as my words, they give voice to what's going on in me. In fact, this verse goes on and it says, Anyone who does not love me w- w- will not obey me. And, and then look, look at what he says. I love this. Remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father. Do you see it? He's saying, this is what God told me to tell you. It's a little bit like me trying to tell you. I don't really want to tell you this. But if I don't, it's on me. So I'm going to. And not to put it on you, but to be with you in it. So that we're all trying to get this right, right? And let's get it right. Here's how you get it right. He keeps going. He makes it easy. Here's how you do it. I'm telling you these things now when I'm still with you. But when I'm gone and the Father sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he'll teach you everything. (laughs) We have the ultimate professor advisor for our doctoral program. The best one ever. Every single minute, more so than any professor could ever be. It's the Holy Spirit is with you all the time, speaking to you, talking to you, leading you, guiding you. You're paying attention one moment. You're not paying attention another. He teaches you to pay attention. (laughs) You get it right, you get it wrong. He teaches you what's wrong with wrong and what's right with right. Right? I mean, this is really not hard. In fact, in the end, what are his commandments? Right? Is it the Ten Commandments? Is it the thousands of laws that the Jewish people set up? in order to keep themselves from offending the Ten Commandments? What is it? What are the commandments? Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your passion. I'm doing the message. It's all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But love the Lord with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. Love the Lord with everything you got. He gave himself completely to you. Give yourself completely to him. With all your passion, prayer, intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. Boy, sometimes he gets it so right. (laughs) But there's a second set alongside of it. Love others as well as you love yourself. But you know what? This one's cool because this one actually gets gets a little deeper because Jesus says that, that passage that we're talking about from John 14, this is the last discourse is what we call it because it's the last time that Jesus talked to them that we have recorded in any depth. This is right before he's to die. Now he comes back and talks to him for another 40 days, but we don't have it recorded. So these are the last things that he wants ringing in our ear. Now, watch. Let me give you a new command, right? In the same passage, let me give you a new command. Don't love others as you love yourself, love them the way I loved you. What's the difference? What's the difference? He loved others more than he loved himself. He loved others even though it meant giving away the whole of himself. He's the one that took the blow for the other person. Without thought of retaliation, it was what saves. You see it? Now here's something I really wanna make clear. I am completely incapable of loving people this way. I really think, if if you'd know me when I was younger, I wasn't nearly as selfish as I may have appeared. But now that I've become a Christian, I'm not nearly as unselfish as it may appear. Because of what I say and do and what you see me doing, you may think of me as being a really unselfish person. You would be wrong. So how do I get there? First of all, I have to say I can't do it. That's what Paul said, right? I can't do it. But there is something that he did He loved me, and the way that he loved me showed me how to love. So I got to leg up all all of a sudden, right? I now know that I'm supposed to love the way that I'm loved. And I gotta tell you, I don't think there's anybody in here that's ever been loved as much as I have been. Now that's not true, of course. But that's how it feels, because I know all the crap that he's loved me through, that he's loved me despite. I know how deeply he loves me, right? Dave Brunk gave us a sermon, probably five or six or seven years ago. You actually brought it up to me two months ago. Song of Solomon. And he said, if you really wanna understand the Song of Solomon and the richness that it is, don't look at it as an erotic poem like some do. Understand that there's something incredibly deep taking place in here in the Holy Spirit. And it's all to be found in how the lover loves and understands the one who's God. There's the bridegroom who's God and then there's the bride and where the bride. And watch what, what Dave said is all you have to do is look at the three things that the bride says to the bridegroom. The first one is, my beloved is mine and I am his. I want you to understand that. Here's what this looks like. My beloved is mine. It's me. Me focused. See it? My beloved is mine. Now, I'm his too. He loves me too. But you see where the emphasis is? It's on my love for him. And then it goes to the second one. I'm understanding something about the order here. I've been talking with the bridegroom and the bride's been talking back to me and I'm starting to understand it's more important that he loves me than that I love him. So that ought to come first. So now he says I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. So there still is I am my beloved's he's now understanding the bridegroom the bride is understanding it's it's about his love first. And I do love him back. And then the bride and the groom get to talking some more and going back and forth. And all of a sudden, the bride realizes that she is an unfaithful lover. An unstable lover. An undependable lover. Let me put it this way. The love that is being shown me is not being returned by the love that I have because there's something wrong with me. So I need to learn this last thing. I am my beloved's. His desires for me. You want to know how to get to where God wants us to be? Let him love you. Understand what it is that he loves you. Understand that your love, as much as you think it has something to do with it, is the unstable part. (laughs) The part that matters is that He knows you. That's the part that matters. Now we're gonna do something. You remember when you were in junior high and you found a song that was just awesome, you just loved the words and you loved the melody and you just had to play it for somebody? You know, I mean, you have to listen to all the words, and like you're listening to words, and you're going, "Yeah, okay." You know, I mean, it's embarrassing, right? Although, if you have a really good friend, then they're like, "Wow, that really is incredible," right? I remember, I remember playing uh, Cat Stevens for my dad in a car one time, and it was a song about if I had no hands and if I had no feet and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, my dad was so worried about me when that song got done. But as led by the Lord, we're going to do something that isn't going to be stupid and corny like that. I'm going to play you a song. And the words are going to be up there. And let me say something. The background on the words is incredibly annoying. Which is a great reason to close your eyes and just listen to the words. <laughs> if you want to see what they are, you can open them up and then it'll bug you enough that you'll close your eyes again. I almost I went to find another version of it, and I found another version of it, but. I like the annoying version better because it may just be where I want us to be. But here's what I want you to do. We talked about how David and Paul, they talk to us from thousands of years ago, and yet they talk as if they're standing right here right now experiencing the same thing that we are right here right, here right now. And what I want to say is, that I think the words that this woman puts to this song are the most exact example of what I could ever communicate what God wants us to be saying right now. I think that this is giving voice to what this simple obedience sermon has been all about. This whole series since the beginning of the year. I think that this song, and I want, so I want you to do something. I want you to sit in the pocket of this song. Let it, you know, a song is a prayer prayed twice. The lyrics and the melody, they go into us. And what I want you to do is I want you to let these words come into you. And here's what I want you to do. The first thing I want you to do is say, are these the words of my heart? If they are, I want you to embrace them and use it as a call to God, as a prayer to him. And pray the words with her as we're doing this, as you're listening to it. If you want to sing along, you can, but we're not, you know, it's hard to sing to, it's a hard song. But the second thing is, if they're not your words, if you're here and you don't even know the Lord, understand that, These are the words of someone who does and who knows right where he is right now in our culture right now. And ask him to start opening up to your ears, to your heart, what these words are saying. Because as I say, I heard this song for the first time ever this week, and I went, oh my gosh, this is like the jewel, the the star on top of the tree This is the capstone of everything you've been talking to us about from the beginning of the year. So with that, go ahead and maybe bring the lights down just a little bit. um, And we got sound up, right?
2: The church that is known for your presence
0: front of you and grab these two cups, would you? The bottom cup is the one in which is the body broken for us, and it signifies the ways in which we thought that we knew Him, the ways in which we thought things were but they weren't. And in so doing, we've broken our lives. But He took all of that onto the cross and healed it utterly he has taken what was broken and disjointed and disconnected and he has made it whole and healed it completely so in jesus name we take this and we put our finger in it and we recognize what we have done but much more importantly we recognize what you have done And so we say thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we take this body that you allowed to be broken in place of ours in order that you might heal us. And we say, God, heal me. God, make me whole. God, make me fully and completely and utterly who you want me to be. Take together. And now we lift up this cup in which is the blood, which is to say the life of Christ, the life that he shed, that when he rose again, he might give us a new life. And so we lift this cup saying, God, that the life that you have for us has already been bought, has already been purchased, is already available, is already true and real. It's already in our lives we just keep going back to the old so God make us Paul's not just David's make us Paul's and even better God make us into the image of you Jesus whom I love whom we love with all of our heart mind soul and strength take this cup together to be united in communion with oneness in Him. Man, I love this church.